Welcome to the 100% Finance Podcast with Juan Pablo, the podcast where we will show you how to get income-producing assets like real estate and businesses with little to no money out of your pocket so you can say goodbye to the 9 to 5 and be financially free. Here's your host, Mr. Cashflow, Mr. Credit Repair, Mr. Business Credit, Mr. Buy and Hold Until the Wheels Fall Off, the People's Mentor, Juan Pablo! Hey, what's going on, guys? It's your guy, Juan Pablo, from the 100% Finance Podcast. Today, we have a special guest with us, a dear friend of mine, Mr. Andre Green. What's up, Dre? Juan, what's going on, man? What's going on, man? Thanks for, for joining the, uh, the podcast, man. It's much appreciated. It is absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for having All me. Right. Thank you, thank you. So, um, Andre, he's actually a, uh, a realtor and an investor, and the topic of today's podcast is the investor's agent. All right, so let's uh, dive into it. So, Dre, wh- where do I know you from? Um, we met a few years back um, through a mutual friend. I think it was was um, was Jr. actually at a at a networking event, and just hanging out, you know, in conversation between you, myself, and Jr. started talking about what we do with respectively, and real estate came up. I think we, you and I actually went out to go grab some grab some coffee a couple of days after that. We sat down and started talking, and that was when you told oh, me yeah, about you know yeah. you're you're invested in what I was doing. Right, right. It was actually the networking event with a day party. I guess he tried to make it sound all professional. <laughs> it was really a day party. <laughs> but it, it was cool. So, you know, it, no, it was a networking opportunity, but uh, call it like a field. Well, you know, party. <laughs> in New York, in New York, every opportunity is a networking opportunity. So, you know, no matter where you are, it's always time to do business. True, true. Yep, yep. So we just clicked after that through a, a mutual friend. And, um, we went to Pittsburgh to look at some properties, and you're still in the New York area now, correct? Right, right. Yes, I am. Yeah. Um, since since then, a lot of a lot of different things have been going on. I know with, with yourself, you, you've had a booming, successful career with with the properties out in the Pittsburgh area. And I actually started started an investment group out here in New York, and also active as a as a as a realtor. So things have been moving since we first met. How long ago was that now? Oh man, I don't even remember. It's been years, man. Time flies. Two, years. Man. Yeah, it's a couple of years, really. Yep. All right, so let's dive into it. If you don't mind sharing um, your experience with the listeners, you know, give them your background. Um, well, I started out in in real estate uh, over ten years ago, with a pretty diverse background. At this point, did mortgages for for a few years. Was an uh, apartment rent, rental agent for for a few years. Did commercial property management on both the commercial side with you know retail space and also residential apartment management where I had to deal with tenants and all those things. And in the midst of those things, it gave me a pretty well-rounded view of of the industry. And it showed me I really got the opportunity to see what I really like in real estate, and I just gravitated toward the investor side where I started working with investors where we were picking up properties doing short sales, doing fix and flips, and I, in the process, got my license and really found my niche with my investors in the, in the sense that I knew exactly what they were looking for. So I was able to find those deals, work those deals, and then make a, like, larger commissions because once 
I'm sending my guys' properties. They're sending them back to me once they finish doing the rehabs on them. And it, it gave me the opportunity to make money, learn the business, and build some great relationships. So that's what I've been doing actually for the past couple of years now, buying my own properties and also facilitating deals for other investors. And uh, besides just uh, finding deals and uh, investing in deals, you also used to finance deals, right, as a mortgage uh, banker or broker? Yes, yes. I, I worked for both a mortgage brokerage and a, and, a, and a mortgage bank. So that was actually what got me into the investor side of the business because a lot of the investors were back in those days, you know, you're talking about 2000, 2008, 2009. Well, prior to then, even that, they were using the, the banks to finance their deals. You, didn't, you really weren't having to worry about so much of the hard money deals because the banks would give you 100% financing back then. So no doc, stated, stated income deals, they can get their money for much, much cheaper going through a bank or through a mortgage broker than going to a hard money cash guy. And that was how I actually built up a lot of my, my buyers list and my clientele. Oh, nice, nice. So you mentioned you've been in the game for about 10 years now, and I know that you're an agent. And the title of this podcast is An Investor's Agent, which we'll get into that definition in a few moments. But um, if you can, mm-hmm. tell our listeners, for one, what kind of agent are you? And for two, okay. can you please explain the differences in the different types of real estate agents out there? Okay, so for, for most people, they know that there's a buyer's agent and there's a seller's agent. And for most of the most of the agents out there, that's very true. There are only really two types of agents. But depending on the purpose of your client, there's what I've termed the coin as an investor's agent. And to me, I think that all agents should be an investor's agent because anyone buying real property, real estate in general, they're buying it for at the end of the day, the same reason. They want their property to appreciate in value. They want the property to make them money, whether it's long-term or short-term, it should be an investment. So an investor's agent is an agent who can identify good properties for you and give you a rundown or a breakdown of what you should be looking for, one, going into the property and then on the buy, and two, what you should be looking for coming out of the property on the sell. So as you know and I know, you make your money in real estate when you buy. That's where, that's where you, can, you can bank and count on what type of returns you're going to be seeing and if you're really getting a good deal or not. So I, I, because I understand the dynamics of an investor, because I'm, I'm an investor myself, I like to lend my experience to all of my clients. And it comes in extremely handy on both sides, more so on the seller side. But when I'm helping someone buy a house, I, I give them a lot of insight into what they should be looking at in terms of the market, condition of the property, the negotiation tactics to get the better deal helps them out a lot when buying a property. And on the flip side, when selling a property, I give them the insight for the market as to what, what renovations need to be done when selling a property, what type of numbers we should be listing the property at, how do we get more money out of, the, out of a buyer and less money coming out of, our, out of their pocket when doing concessions and negotiating with, with, the, with the buyers. So, like I said, I, I really truly do believe that all, in, all buyers of real, real estate property are an investor. It's just where along this, the scope are you? And dealing with an agent who un, understands and I can identify what, what, exactly what you're looking to do and what you need is how your agent will be worth its weight in gold 
if you can find a good one. That's a, that's a good point, Dre, because, um, you know, like many people watch HGTV all the time, and you see these houses where people are trying to buy, you know, investment property, whether it's a um, <coughs> fully renovated house or if it's a, uh, a fixer-upper. And oftentimes, you, you, or you sell them here, a realtor say, oh, these are the market conditions. You know, I see that this, mm-hmm. in this area, it has a positive appreciation rate of 3%. And so I think you should get at this level now and blah, blah, blah. Or I think you should do these upgrades based upon the, the scope of the neighborhood in order to sell your house quicker, blah, blah, blah. You know, it, it's very rare that you see that, and that's, that's good that you do that. So would you also consider yourself to be somewhat of a, a dual agent? And for those who don't understand what a dual agent is, can you please uh, define that as well? Well, yeah, a, a dual agent is an agent that will work for both the um, the buyer and the seller. And just to be frank and, you know, uh, transparent, for a real estate agent in general, they would all love to be a dual agent because you'll make bigger commissions. But sometimes when you're work, operating as a dual agent, you're not necessarily facilitating or servicing each of the clients in its best manner. Don't get me wrong. I'd love to be a dual agent on every deal, but depending on your market, you're not, it's, that's not available to you because, in, in, you know, I'll speak for New York up here. There are uh, thousands of agents based on by borough, by neighborhood, by, by, by the entire city. So it, if you have the relationships to be a dual agent, you can do so. But for the most part, you're working with other, with other agents and other brokerages when you're getting your deals done, which if your agent isn't a good agent can cause complications in terms of delays and timelines and really bad negotiations if they are not seasoned on one, how to negotiate, and two, how to keep in mind what's the goal here of this transaction. Because some clients are more concerned about time and, and others are more concerned about money. But it always comes down to one of those two things. Do they want more money or do they, do they have less time? So, you know, it, it's, it's a give and take when it comes to, to that part of it. But I think I actually yeah. might have forgot what your original question was. Oh, just defining what a dual agent was, and you just explained okay. that. So they work with both the buyer and the seller, and, and the seller. you said it's preferred because they get both sides of the commission, you know. Right. So and, uh, they'll get a bigger, a bigger cut. Right, because they're representing both parties. And um, me personally, as an investor, I prefer to work with uh, dual agents because um, – for one, they can fight for me to lower the price now because they're still going to be getting, let's say, 6%, you know, instead of 3% commission. And for two, they're working directly with the seller. So if I have them on my side, they'll say, yo, Juan, um, the seller is selling because he's getting divorced. You know, or he, he's just trying to downsize because he's retiring. He wants to get off his books. He's a tired landlord. Or uh, he's, he's moving out the city and he doesn't know how to, he just doesn't want to deal with the property no more and hire a property management to take over. So he'll tell me the motivation. And once I know the motivation, I can use that as, as leverage for negotiation, especially towards the terms of the deal or the, or the purchase price. And secondly, absolutely wanna, oh, go ahead. No, I was saying that's, that's, that's an absolutely great point that you just brought up. The fact that you're dealing directly with the, with the seller's agent who will become the dual agent, he's able to give you insight onto the deal that a, a regular buyer's agent wouldn't have known because they don't have direct contact with the seller. 
And that's one of the things that, that has helped me in, in my business is that most of, almost all of my clients who end up buying properties from me, they're coming directly to me because I am a seller's agent. So they're getting a better negotiation and a better deal than if they would have went out with another realtor and come to the property through another agent. Right, and that goes along with what you were saying earlier about how you're an investor's agent, so you tell them what upgrades are needed for the property, and that's what a, a great uh, seller's agent, and it's also called a listing agent as well, will do. Mm-hmm. So like me being the buyer, the investor, and I go to a seller's agent, after they tell me the motivation of the seller, I'll also ask them about the state of the property. So uh, you got to keep in mind, too, this realtor may not be might not have a background in construction. You know, they might not mm-hmm. say, oh, the water heater has three years' life on it or the roof has about two years on it. But he can basically, he or she can basically tell you the scope of what's going on. Like it looks in the, like it's in decent shape. I did see some sagging in the floor and in the bathroom area, so there might have some foundation issues. That realtor should be able to give you that information. So that's why Absolutely. me as an investor, I solely work with seller agents. I know conventional wisdom will say, hey, you're a buyer, you should work with a buyer's agent. If I'm selling a property, I should work with a seller's agent. But if you're a real estate investor, you need to find people like Dre, especially if you're in the New York area. People who's a seller's agent, who knows the market, and knows real estate investing. I love to work with realtors who have their own rental properties because they, they know the game. And they, and they fight for me on my behalf. And that's, that's a great point. And that's, that's probably one of the, the major disadvantages that, that I've seen. I network a lot with other agents, you know, in my market, actually other markets, and about 80 to 85% of them, they don't, they don't invest in real estate themselves. For them, real estate as an agent is just a business for them to make money. It's not about the long-term appreciation and all the other benefits that come along with it. It's not a horrible thing, but the drawback is they don't know what you're looking for and pretty much a great agent should be your eyes before you even get to the property. So they should be able to give you a full rundown of a deal without you even stepping foot on the property and know if this deal works for you or not from a phone call. And that's the benefit that I can really bring to a lot of my clients because there's no waste of time. I'll tell them before we even go in, this is for you, this is not for you, based on what you've told me you're looking for. And a good agent will interview their client before they start sending them deals to know exactly what it is that they're doing and what they're looking for to to save the one thing we can never get back, which is time. And that that's true because um, from a personal example, I work with another um, agent and uh, his name is Dave, a new guy, and he was just on top of it. And uh, one of the great things about it is he actually, like, like Dre just mentioned, he'll save you time in a deal because you might look at a deal and one of the most important things about doing a deal is the financing. You want to make sure you have that mortgage in order. And the mortgage banker, they're going to look at certain metrics, you know, like your, uh, your uh, debt coverage ratios. And it needs to be under, uh, I think it's 1.45. Don't quote me, but I think it's 1.45. It, it, what a debt coverage ratio is, is the income that the property receives relative to the, to the debt that's on the property. And it can be kind of high, you know, if you're using, you know, 100% financing, a mortgage and seller finance and things like that. So he'll save you time by telling you, hey, I already did the analysis, the debt coverage ratio, it's, it's, it's good to go. You should have no problems with this at the bank. But if you're dealing with a regular agent who don't know these type of metrics or this lingo, 
then you will have to figure that stuff out yourself. Absolutely. All right? But, that's a great point. Yeah, that's it. All right. So let me ask you this, uh, Dre. What are some things anybody, whether you're an investor or just uh, owner-occupant, you intend to buy your first home, what are some things that anybody should look for when purchasing a property? Um, on the purchase side, first and foremost, you want to look at, look at neighborhoods. You want to look at the area of the property that you're going to be in. Because, you know, sometimes you can come across a, a deal that looks like a complete dog that you say, why is this even standing? And just for example, I have, I have a, a property that, um, that I sold to an investor. The property was a complete wreck. I mean, we had squatters in there for about three, four years. The house was burnt, burnt down in a section of it because the squatters were in there trying to start a fire to keep This was, was a complete mess. But it was in a great neighborhood in Queens. So, so you know, you, you have to go in there, know what you're doing renovation-wise, but looking at the comps outside, we were talking about the resale value was about four, 450 to 500 And because of the condition of the house and the negotiations that I did with the bank, and the negotiation, excuse me, the negotiations I did for the for the buyer, we were able to get this property over two hundred thousand dollars less than it was going for the going prices in the neighborhoods were going for, which gave the, the the buyer now a great opportunity to go in there, invest a couple of dollars, and make a great return on his money because he was using this property for a flip. So you got to look at the neighborhood, you got to look at the condition of the property. You gotta look at how much renovation cost the property might need, and what's the max? If you know, if you put all the bells and whistles on the home that you would want to have on it, what's the return that you would get on your money? Because, as we all know, kitchens and baths sell sell homes. That's it. Everybody falls in love with those. The values the values are gonna be top notch or at the the peak of that neighborhood market. But you have to know what the top of the market is going into it. Oh, that's great. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. And. Um... I have another follow-up question, which is similar to the first, but what are some things anybody, whether you're an investor or owner-occupant, what are some of the things that this individual should and should not do when um, selling a property? When selling a property. So the, another example I use, I actually had a, a, a lady that was in Brooklyn that was selling a three-family and, you know, you need to be – part of my job is to make sure that my clients are aware of what it is, what value does a property currently hold. And, you know, by doing research and, and, you know, getting all the information together, I was able to give her a, a, list, a listing price for her property that was within 5%, excuse me, yeah, about 5 to 10% of what the, actual, the property actually went into contract for. But before we even got to contract, we were getting offers on her house that were $100,000 to $150,000 less than what her property was worth because of, according to the, the offers we're getting, the neighborhood is a transitioning neighborhood, so we're not sure where this property is going to be. A less experienced agent might have took that as a real answer and sent these offers to their, to their client without really vetting the offers. So we got at the end of the day, the lady was able to get an offer almost at list price. The only reason why we reduced the list price was because the appraisal came in a little bit lower because of a few other sales. But she wanted to do, you know, 
cosmetic renovations to the house that weren't necessarily needed for the house. So I saved her an extra $45,000, $50,000 on the renovation she wanted to do. And then I was able to save her the $25,000 within the negotiations because I knew what her house was worth, and I was able to work these points out with, with the buyer to keep as much money as the seller could keep in her pocket, but yet still giving the buyer a great deal. And that's one of the things that an investor's agent can do for a client by knowing, one, what's the, the, property, the property's real value, and two, negotiating very well because that's probably one of the most intangible things that agents don't talk about with their clients. How well do you negotiate? Because that's the art of the deal right there. You don't negotiate well, you don't save or make money. And I think that's very true in regard to uh, most most um, home buyers. Um, they think, oh well, you know, they're thinking emotional about it, and in order to sell it, that everything has to be pristine and excellent, and so they just end up just overspending on rehab or. Uh, you know, uh, renovations. Yeah, the cosmetic. Not needed. The touch-ups. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because this lady, she's a sweet, a sweet lady. You know, she's a, a wonderful person. And in her mind, you know, just if she fixed everything up to the way that, you know, it should be, she won't have any, no one will negotiate the price and they're just going to buy it the way it is. And, you know, it, it's, it's a wonderful thought. But in this business, everything is negotiable. So if she would have dumped another $100,000 into it, Someone would have came in there and found another reason to say, well, we should lower the price by this much because of X, Y, Z. So right. I think there's some money. Yeah, no, I was going to say, you're right, because the paint color might be off. And then like, well. Exactly. <laughs> it's always something. And that's, that's, the, that's the bottom line. It's, no matter what it is, it's always going to be something. It's like, it's like buying a, a used car or even buying a new car. You know, you can always find a reason why. The car is not exactly perfect, so you should get a discount somewhere in there. True. And um, in regard to selling the property, too, um, what would you say in this scenario that the seller um, is in a market in which they probably lose some money at closing? Let's say you have to come to closing with just a maximum of $10,000, meaning because of the market conditions, whether it's a recession or it was a, you know, it was a dip in the market. So they're not really going to be making any money. In fact, taking money out their pocket, let's say maximum $10,000. What would you suggest you mean to, in that scenario? To, to purchase a property or what's selling a property? No, no, a seller who's selling the property, but they want to sell it. Let's say they're, they're moving out of state, you know, and, they're just not an investor, so they're not privy to, you know, renting it out or hiring a management company. And let's say it could potentially, you know, cash flow or break even. They're just not aware of that information. But they're like, mm-hmm. their mindset is, okay, if I'm moving to California and I live in New York, I should sell the property. But they know if they sell because they bought at the top of the market and they'll be coming out of pocket at closing 10000 How would you advise that type of person? Well, for, for those clients who are, um, it sounds like that, that would be a little bit of a distressed, a distressed sale because they're, if, they bought the property the top at, if they bought the property at the top of the market, at the time when they're looking to sell, it's, it's a bit of a depressed market. 
that client would be a client that I would first and foremost, before we even got to you know, listing the property, we'd sit down and run through all the options available to them. And that would be some of the things you just mentioned. You know, keeping the property as a rental to, to see, not to see, but to, to dictate when they are in the best opportunity to, sell, to resell sell the property. Because some clients just don't know what's available to them. So we can do, talk about doing a rental through a property management company. We can talk about other options such as, you know, doing a, a sale depending on, the, on their numbers, doing a sale where we're negotiating a discount but not, so we're, not that where it's coming out of, the, out of the, the client's pocket. So we can set the conditions or the negotiations for the buyer that, you know, we'll reduce, we'll, re, we'll do some of the, the, the cosmetic work that you might have to do going into the property. We'll take care of it beforehand to avoid a price reduction because if you're dealing with a, a client who is selling a home that has a, a mortgage that's higher than the, the value, that's, that's a, a tough situation for a seller to be in. So you really want to explain to your client as a listing agent what are the options available to you and what are all the possible outcomes based on those things because there's no situation where I want to sell someone's house. They have to come out of pocket and not make money, and I'm still collecting commission because that's not that doesn't morally make me feel good. My job is to make sure I'm making you the most money as possible, and if I do so, I then deserve a commission. Hey, well, it might make you feel good. Might not make you feel good morally, but financially, it make you feel good though. <laughs> financially, it make me feel great. But if you want to be in this business long term, it's not always about the dollar. Right. It was just a joke. It was just a joke, people. Yeah, no, but, uh, no, that, I know. That brings us into pretty much our next question, too. Um, things you should look for in a, in, a, in a realtor. And one of those things that you answer is pretty much a realtor who will provide you with options, someone who's, who has your best interests at heart, you know, because you do have a fiduciary responsibility to your client. And even right. if that's, Absolutely. you know, towards your detriment, because I'm sure – Sure, you might receive, let's say they, in that scenario we discussed, the person who moved to California, sure, you might say, yeah, you can probably do property management because the rental market is good, so you might be able to cash flow. And you might say, in fact, mm -hmm. I can uh, you know, find you a tenant and get a, a one month fee for that, and I can perhaps do property management for you and get paid for that. So then you'll still right. be able to you know, make some money off this transaction. You're still helping the, the seller as well. But what are some exactly. other things a person should look for? Let, let's say speaking in, in regard to a, uh, an investor, since most of my listeners are uh, real estate investors, what are some of the qualities a real estate investor should look for in, a, in an agent? I, ideally, if you can find a real estate agent that's also an investor, you've hit a home run because those, those type of agents who you know, buy property and evaluate property on a regular basis, one, we come across better deals than most agents because our network is tied into distressed properties or tied into other REO agents or tied into, into banks directly. So I know personally I come across deals on a regular basis that are much better off-market deals than a regular agent. So a lot of people have the mis misconception that, you know, if I see a good deal pop up on MLS that I have an opportunity to go buy that deal. Sad to say, that's not really the case. A lot of the deals that pop up on MLS and that seem too good to be true 
are normally gone before they got to MLS, but because of the bank requirements or bank guidelines, they have to, uh, agent has to post the property on MLS. But to be honest with you, if you're dealing with an agent who you have a great relationship with, he's going to be giving you a call or she's going to be giving you a call before that property is even posted to MLS, like, hey, Juan, guess what? I have a property that came up in the area you're looking. It fits your parameters based on some other things I know that you're looking for. Do you want to take a look at it? I have to post it, but I'll give you a first, a first shot at it to tell me if you want to go on this deal or not. And that relationship that you've created with that listing agent or that seller's agent, it's, it's invaluable to your career as an investor. So that's one of the reasons why you definitely want to get yourself aligned with a great listing agent to, to give you an inside track. Because, you know, a lot of stuff you see out there, it's all based on relationship. And if, if, you're, if you're only looking for deals through a buyer's agent, through MLS, you, you're going to have a tough time being successful in the business as a pure investor, for, no matter what type of property, single family, multifamily, large commercial buildings, large mixed families, office buildings, they're all based off of having a good relationship. The second thing I would say that, you know, you should definitely well, let me Let do, me take it back off that, Dre, um, that first comment okay. before you move on. That's, that's, that goes against all conventional wisdom, guys. That's paramount, paramount. You're actually learning the insider tips. I don't think you really heard what he just said. Most people go to a buyer's agent who just simply send them stuff that's on the MLS, this email blast. But as Dre mentioned, the key to getting the best deals to being a successful real estate investor in this game is having those relationships. Because if you have a relationship for one, not a buyer's agent, but with a seller's agent, and for two, not from deals that's already on the MLS, the, the leftovers, as I like to call them, but the ones that you get the pocket listings, those are the ones that make your portfolio fat and juicy with cash flow. So that's what Dre is telling you. You want to get a seller's agent who provides you with pocket listings. Those, those deals in which the agent who has that, those connections, those relationships, and says, hey, Juan, I got a deal. I know it fits your, your parameters, your business model. Let me know if you want to close on this in three days. Otherwise, I'm going to have to pitch it to my other guys. But I'm going to go to you first because I know you're a closer. I've done many deals with you or I know you're qualified, I'll give it to you first. But otherwise, I'll share it with everyone else, and then I'll post it on MLS. And that's, and that's, that's the absolute huge. truth of the business. That's the truth of the business, man, because, you know, when I, I, I'm, I'm sharing these gems with you, and, you know, you listen because I know you, and I know what, what your goal is, is to, to get everyone into a rental property and to be, a, to be an investor. And that is, it's, it's huge. I can't even explain how huge it is to have those type of relationships. I know you've built them over your career with your guys in the areas that you buy properties in, and I know you, I've heard, it, you say, you heard you say it before. Those are the type of deals that make you big, huge cash flow gains when you're, looking at, when you're looking at deals. It's about getting there before everybody else gets there. Right, and you have that relationship in which you created the rapport and you're kind of like buddies. For one, y'all have something in common. Both of you are investors. And you might have some other things that you guys have in, in, in common with. But if, you're, if you come across as a person who's easy to deal with, you're not a pain in the butt to deal with, you're a person of your word, like, yes, I'll have this contract to you, Andre, by Thursday. You have it to Andre by Thursday. Or, yes, Andre, I'll, um, I'll meet you at the property Friday at 10 a.m. 
you actually show up before 10 a.m. and not at 10.30 a.m. You know, you, you, you're a person of integrity, and people like to work with people like that. Like, okay, this dude is a man of his word, and this guy is cool. So I'm going to continue because I like him. Yeah, I'm going to continue to send him all the pocket listening, and for one, I'm getting paid off of it too. Mm-hmm. And he, he, mm-hmm. he's consistent business. He's a repeat customer. So, of course, I'm going to continue to send my deals to this individual. All right, so what was your, your next point you wanted to make and the other things you yeah, should look for in a realtor? So the second point I want to make is that, you know, having a great relationship is, is, is one thing, but having an, an investor's agent who knows that having contacts with mortgage brokers and mortgage bankers is a huge part of what you need to do as well as having an agent that can guide you with credit repair or getting you in contact with companies that do credit repair is paramount in getting more deals done because the worst thing you want to do as an investor is build a relationship with an agent and he's sending you great cash flowing deals and he sends you four deals but you can only close on two because you don't have enough financing to get all four done when it is possible if your investor knows how to position you properly to meet with the right brokers at the right time to put you into the right programs that will close on your deals to make your, to make the deals work. That's a big piece I think a lot of buyers miss by not dealing with the right agents at the right time when they're looking to pick up properties. Yeah, that's that's great. And if you guys are not aware, we actually do credit repair at one percent finance. So uh just to put that plug in there but um yeah so th- thanks for sharing that you're about um things that people should look for in a, in a realtor um next question is are there any type of um myths that you think people have about valuing their home uh, i think there's a bunch of them out there how much time do you have <laughs> <laughs> we well, have about five minutes if you can just give us about <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Top three uh, yeah, myths people have about valuing their home. Um, top three is if if I put all gold in my house, my house will sell for more money. That's that's a giant myth, and it's not it's not true. You know, there is a point where you can over invest in your property, and you know your your agent should be able to tell you what market value is and what what's the current value of your property. So you know, just because you like marble and you like gold doesn't mean that you have to put marble and gold inside your entire house and you'll get an extra $50,000. That's something that most people just, they, they think that that can happen because their house is the nicest house on the block. That's like saying you have the cutest baby in the world. There's going to be another house out there that might look a little bit better than yours in a better location. So be very aware of what, how much money you're putting into your property because some of it is just wasted money whether you're going to live there or not. Second thing I would say is that your neighborhood affects, affects your value if you're dealing with just residential properties. So that's something you should look at as a buyer going into it. Be aware of the top of your market. Sometimes, of course, no one can predict the future. Some areas just shoot up and appreciation. And for those people, you got a windfall, you hit the lotto, you might make a couple extra $100,000. But you don't want to speculate. You, this is not the stock market. Don't buy a property with the intention that it's going to shoot up in value. Buy the property based on its current condition, on its current value, and that will insulate you from large dips in, in, the, in the real estate market. Because a lot of people, you hear the stories all over the place. They, they bought properties, peak of the market, 
and the market crashed, and they were overpaying for properties, not buying great deals. So just don't speculate. Buy based on what you know today, not what, on what you think you're going to know tomorrow. And I think if you, st- if you stick along, you know, those, those two things, you'll definitely be able to, to make good decisions when, one, evaluating property to purchase, and, two, when renovating and, and investing in property that you already purchased. Yeah, that's true because no one actually has a crystal ball <clears throat> that can predict what the market value will be for your particular home five or ten years from now. But um, I, I would say, too, um, I advise people that provide coaching, like when they're buying a home, and let's say they want to uh, use FHA and they live in one unit around the others, or just buy an FHA home, you know, a single-family home. I always advise them to, to see if the rent that they receive, if they weren't living there, will still be a cash-flowing uh, property. So, like, knock on wood, you know, like we discussed in that scenario where you had to move to California and you were forced to rent out your house because the market dips, so you, you, know, you might be at a loss if you sell it, and at least you'll still be able to get some cash flow. And that's, and that's a great point. That. That, yeah, that's a great point that a lot of people don't think about. But, you know, as a seasoned investor as you are, those are some things that you should definitely do when, when you're evaluating the property. What ha- if you're buying it to live in it, that's great. But what happens when you want to move or your situation changes? Can the property still make you money even if you're not there? And that's, that's one of the things you definitely have to look at. Yeah, because it would definitely suck, and I'm saying this through experience. It, it definitely sucks if you move out of state and your rent is a thousand. I mean, your mortgage is a thousand dollars, and you're only receiving seven hundred dollars a month in rent, and you're trying to sell it, but your mortgage is a uh, hundred thousand, and the property is is valued at ninety thousand or some sort like that. Yeah, that that yeah. kind of sucks. Yeah, so you're just bleeding money. All right, so it happens, um, it happens all the time, man. Okay, and um, if you can, if you can tell us a little bit about your services and uh, what you provide and how people can reach out to you. Um, well, you know, as, as you guys know now, I'm a, I'm a primarily listing agent. I work with commercial and residential, primarily residential, residential um, properties in the, in the New York area. So I... I focus on Queens, Brooklyn, and Long Island. Um, I offer also property management services to clients who, who have property that they want to, to, to rent out for, for, other per, for, for tenants, as well as I do property valuation. So I do a lot of free consultations with clients who are looking, who are entertaining the idea of selling homes, and I also do a lot of consultations with, with buyers who are looking to buy investment properties. And investment properties go across the board from single-family homes to multifamily homes to apartment buildings to office space to mixed-use properties to, to almost any other type of investment that you can do with real estate, I have experience in doing so, so I actually offer my services across the board. I can, if you want to you know, check out my website, it's andresoldit.com, or you can send me an email at andresoldit at gmail. You can also find me on Facebook at Andre Green. That's, that's my name. And I'm always open to, you know, answer any questions. Have, we can sit down, grab a cup of coffee, and pick my brain. I'm always trying to help another fellow investor achieve their goal because we all need, we all somewhere along the line got a helping hand, and I'm more than, more than happy to do so for somebody else. 
That's that's what's up. So you said you do uh, in the New York City area, Brooklyn, Queens, Long Island. You also uh, do commercial as well as residential, and you provide property management services. That, yes, sir. There you go. There you go, guys. So if you're in the New York City market, make sure you reach out to him. And he's a cool dude. Like I said, I met him at a party, you know what I'm saying? And we hung out a couple times, <laughs> or more than a couple times. So um, he's also, you know, a good friend. So it's a good way to, to network with people. And I don't know if it's the same for you, Dre, but it seems like now, like, most of my friends are all, like, somewhat in, in business or real estate or some of that some, all my friends are pretty much are in those type of industries, either business persons, entrepreneurs, real estate investors. Yeah. You know, yeah, you're right, Juan, honestly, because, you know, I never really thought about it, but a lot of, the, a lot of, as you're actually more involved in the business, you find and gravitate towards people who are in your business. So you just naturally come across opportunities and conversations that are related to what you do on, on a regular daily basis. And I just want to put this out there for everyone else who's, you know, if Juan's your mentor, and, he's follow- and, you know, you're following him and you're watching the videos. I have some great stories and some great dirt on Juan. So if you want to just call me or email me for that, you know, <laughs> you're all the dirt I have on Juan just for fun. <laughs> <laughs> right, you can use it for blackmail later. <laughs> like, can I get you to but say that? Wait, let me record this real quick. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, Dre, any uh, final words, any words of wisdom, words of advice? Um. The one thing I'll I'll leave you guys with, nothing is impossible because the word impossible says that I'm possible. Set your goals, write them down, keep them in front of you, and just just grind it out because you can do whatever it is that you really want to get done. So sky's the limit, guys. Check out the website, andresolded.com, or send me an email at andresolded at gmail. All right, cool. All right, well, thanks, Dre. So um, I wish you the best, and I'll, I'll be seeing you soon, man, next time I'm in the New York City area. Thank you so much, Juan, for for the opportunity and the call, man. Talk to you soon, bro.